0: Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this, of course, is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. So, wow, November 1st. Is this the, is this the, Celtic, uh, like the Celtic New Year's Day? Uh, I was just playing uh, the song. I believe it's Halloween 2. Um, so I'm a Danzig fan. And uh, I think I was a teenager when I first discovered Danzig's solo work. And then um, I loved his music so much that I went back and uh, checked out the whole catalog of Misfits. Um, well, to me, the real Misfits are the Misfits with, with uh, Glenn Dent. So I checked out the whole uh, Misfits catalog and absolutely loved that stuff too. Then I discovered that he had a band, which uh, people usually call refer to as Samhain or Samhain um obviously the proper pronunciation of the ancient pagan new year festival that's thought to have inspired or influenced our uh, modern day Halloween the proper pronunciation is Sam, but it looks like Samhain or Samhain. and Danzig does know the proper pronunciation because he uses uh that word a lot in his music. he always pronounces it correctly as Samhain. But I don't know if he intends for the band name to be Samhain or if he intends for it to be pronounced Samhain or Samhain. Cause that does sound kind of like a badass band name, you know? And I think Samhain was also, I remember way back, I'm definitely dating myself here, uh, you know, aging Gen Xer here. And when I was a kid, there were two different Ghostbusters cartoons. One was, like, more faithful to the movies, and then one was just, like, bizarre, like, very loosely associated. And I remember someone else talking about this and how I think it had something to do with someone else holding the copyright or whatever it was. But there was a a Ghostbusters cartoon that was fairly loyal to the movies, and, uh... They had an enemy uh, that they were fighting one time, this evil spirit, like Halloween spirit, and his name was Sam Hain, and uh, he had a big evil jack-o'-lantern head and kind of like a specter type of cloak or body or whatever. Yeah, probably didn't need to bring that up, but why the hell not? Day after Halloween, and I uh, I meant to do a Halloween episode last, uh, last night, so I'm kind of making up for uh, lost time. Actually, originally, and I'm tired of making a lie around myself, so I try not to promise anything, you know, that I'll get something out by a certain deadline. So hopefully I didn't promise you guys a Halloween documentary this year, but I know I at least said I'd try to get one out. I did make an effort, you know, tried to give it the old college try, or maybe the old community college try at least. But I did pick a topic, and I started digging in, and uh, I was going to do a last-minute documentary about black cats, talk a little bit about the genetics, you know, what makes a black cat black and all that, something to do with the recessive uh, tabby gene, I think, something like that. Um, Anyway, And uh, I just knew I wasn't going to make it in time. Yeah, so obviously the lion's share of the episode, cat pun not intended, was going to be about this, you know, the superstition surrounding uh, black cats. And uh, actually, while I was researching it, I did find that there's actually some cultures that uh, did or do consider black cats to be... um, to be a sign of good luck. And I think one example was certain Celtic civilizations uh, had viewed black hats as a sign of good luck. And that kind of takes us back to Samhain, you know, the pagan new year. I think there may have been several Celtic societies that observed Samhain, but I think traditionally it's most often associated with ancient Ireland. And you guys are probably already aware, but of course there's a number of major Christian holidays that are kind of like Christian pagan mashups. You know, uh, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, of course. And uh, the thinking is that there is uh, this kind of tendency in the days of the early church or whatever, to kind of graft Christianity onto existing pagan traditions and uh, observances, you know what I mean? In a way, I think that kind of made it easier or more appealing for uh, for pagans to kind of switch over to Christianity uh, to make that shift. So you had this kind of Christianization of existing pagan customs. In the case of Easter, you have these uh, clearly pagan fertility symbols like hares and eggs. And uh, I think it's thought that the name Easter comes from this kind of Germanic fertility goddess, uh, goddess Eostra or Eoster, something like that. Uh, If you're a fan of American gods, you might remember that uh, there was actually a character Eostra or Eostra on that uh, television. Uh, Is that coming back for a third uh, season? I don't know. I dug that. Uh, Anyway, and then with uh, Christmas, of course, you can trace uh, pagan influences all the way back to the ancient Roman Empire with uh, Saturnalia and um, Mithras, etc. cetera. And then, of course, later on, you had Nordic influences. Uh, in the case of Halloween, of course, Samhain. But that stuff's always fascinated me. If you dig that stuff too, I did just re-release uh, the first ever Week in Doubt Halloween special. Uh, it, th- it might only be like, I don't know, maybe it's in between like eight and 12 minutes long, I don't know. Uh, but I'm if I'm proud of anything, um, I try to take pride in all the content and, you know, that I release to you guys, but I'm a neurotic dude who can never, you know, please myself and I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to my own own content. Um but if there's any content of mine that I'm probably the most proud of that I feel like this is pretty good stuff, even by my own harsh standards on myself, you know. I mean, it's probably uh the documentary specials. Um Like, if I had to gut my whole library, which I was talking recently about how uh, if I want to expand the show to other platforms, I might have to convert all my old episodes to mp3 and i was talking about possibly gutting a bunch of old content you know if i had to gut a bunch of my old content and i could only save a handful of episodes it would definitely be the documentary specials and so every year i re release that halloween special and there were follow-up halloween specials i did like the salem witch trials mini documentary i think i released that yesterday or re-released it Um, and then there's the one on the Necronomicon, I did one on Hell Houses, uh, I think I did one on Demonic Possession, uh, so I love that stuff. Um, oh yeah, I was just, one final word on Danzig, yes, I'm a huge Danzig fan, a fan of his music, but you don't have to tell me, I know supposedly in real life, guy's kind of a dick, so they say, but still, uh, absolutely love his, his music, and, uh, quote-unquote, Samhain, or however you're supposed to pronounce the band name, uh, that might be my favorite iteration of Danzig, you know, you know, my or my favorite Danzig phase was his time with that band. Um, I guess you would call it like horror punk, but I just, it's so dark. It's so dark and dirty, and I don't know how to explain it, but it's so morbid. I just, I love that music. Uh, that's Yeah, that's probably my favorite Danzig phase is uh, Samhain. But before I forget, speaking of content that I'm not exactly pleased with, you know what I mean? Uh, there's sometimes when I'll do an unscripted episode... And, uh, you know, after the fact, I think, you know, I, there might be some things I like about it, other things that I just feel like, you know, I was just rambling and not really saying much, or maybe I got some stuff wrong, you know, because I was working without a net. And sometimes I'll actually take episodes like that and I'll release them on YouTube, but I won't put much effort into the visuals and I'll just use like a still image and put audio only and I'll sometimes self-deprecatingly refer to them as crap casts. You know, it's like, I'm kind of warning you. Eh, probably not my finest stuff here, but if you enjoy my unscripted, you know, ramblings and uh, that's your thing, you can still click on it and listen to it. I almost did that with um, with last week's episode, but I didn't even bother. I, there were some things I liked about last week's episode I enjoyed talking about Borat too and some other things, but I was kind of like, I think that might have been over an hour long, and I was just feeling kind of iffy about it. But and I don't know if the person wants me to give their last name on the show, uh, but uh, so I'll I'll play it safe and uh, first name Tony, but a longtime friend and listener of the show, and he got in touch and let me know that he really dug that episode. And, I th- and this does kind of resonate with people sometimes because I kind of went into my own neuroses and, you know, sometimes I kind of bear all giving my, uh, you know, regarding my kind of struggles with things like depression and uh you know, like obsessive worrying or, you know, my migraines, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And I think some people appreciate that honesty and it, and it resonates with them, with them rather. So I think he, he dug that, but uh, it made my day. I always like hearing from listeners and when they let me know that they really enjoyed a specific episode and, uh, you know, that it kind of, um it meant something to them to hear me talk about my own struggles. So, uh, hats off to Tony. Thanks for getting in touch, man. Much appreciated. But if you did want to seek out that episode, the audio version is out there. You know, you can go to iTunes or, uh, or Podbean and track it down. And there was something I was going to mention in passing. I'll try not to spend too much time on it. Uh, But The Mandalorian Season 2 has arrived. uh, Or they released the first episode of Season 2. And uh, I remember, I think last year. I dug the first uh, season of The Mandalorian so much that I did a. I kind of dedicated a a whole episode to doing a review on it. And I think it went over like a lead balloon. I don't think it generated too much interest. So I don't know if I. Maybe I don't have a lot of Star Wars fans in the audience. I don't know. So I won't spend too much time on it. But um, yeah, I enjoyed the first episode of season two. I wasn't sure at first because. yeah, it starts off where we see two Gamorrean guards, and, and, uh, I'm actually not, like, a huge Star Wars nerd, but I just like sci-fi and fantasy in general, and so I've seen all the Star Wars, uh, movies, and I have a pretty good knowledge of that, you know, universe or whatever, but it's not like I'm a super fanatical Star Wars fan, but I know enough. So, there are two Gamorrean guards fighting, and already I sound like an effing nerd, but, and, uh, if you if you don't remember, the Gamorrean Guards are the big barbaric green-skinned pig people in Jabba's Palace who acted as guards, uh, appropriately enough. And uh Luke chokes them with the force. And uh and one thing that's great about the Mandalorian is that John Favreau, basically the guy behind the series, um, an actor, director, I think I first became aware of John Favreau from uh, the movie Swingers remember he was the kind of uh, I think he he was real life friends with Vince Vaughn and they you know made some movies together or whatever um, and so uh, turns out he and I say this affectionately he's a huge Star Wars nerd and he's big on kind of getting things right and being true to the original movies and whatnot. So there's a lot of great fan service in the Mandalorian. A lot of the creatures and races and locations, et cetera, from the original movies, lots of little Easter eggs and, you know, uh, nods to uh, the original movies. And so the uh, so season two starts off where we see the Mandalorian and it really I think people try to say this as an insult, but I think it should be seen as a compliment, you know uh some people try to say that Star Wars is basic. it's not real sci-fi it's just uh, a space western and i th- i think it's a combination of both i think it's a space western which is a pr- which is pretty damn cool in my book and it's also real sci-fi but so you know, definitely the Mandalorian has that kind of like old western gunslinger type of feel you know the character of the Mandalorian and so he kind of enters this kind of den of iniquity or whatever, where people are watching and betting on uh, this fight, this duel between two Gamorrean guards. And so you have these two giant pigmen with giant axes, but there's some kind of like force field thing going on. So they never hit the, really hit each other with the blades or cut each other. And I thought that was too watered down, even for Disney or Star Wars, because damn, in the original Star Wars movie, we had arms and hands getting lopped off and everything. Why not show a little uh, pig man blood? You know what I mean? But uh, I got over that and I quickly got pulled into the episode and I absolutely loved it. And it was kind of formulaic, you know, the, the Mandalorians kind of like the stranger, the mysterious stranger that kind of moses into town and then the town people need him to do something for them. So kind of like this, uh, almost like a, the generic formula to like a D and D quest or something. I not you know what I'm saying? Uh, pretty, pretty, I mean, you can't get much more formulaic and yet it worked. I really dug it. I really dug the episode And of course, Baby Yoda, the child, is uh, still around. And it's funny, I have a close female friend who's really not into Star Wars or anything at all, but she is absolutely obsessed with Baby Yoda just because of how cute the thing is. But that's all I'll say about The Mandalorian for now. But why not? Let's go over some news stories. And this first one is uh, just in time for the Halloween season. Well, technically, <laughs> we're a day past Halloween. But uh, it's entitled Halloween Hilarity, Ghosts Make People Gay. And it's dated October 30th. And this is from Patheos, but it's not from uh, the Friendly Atheist. It's from the, the Free Thinker blog or channel. And it looks like it's by Barry Duke. Okay, so it shows an embedded photo of some old looking dude, and that says The geezer above is His Holiness Dr. Jayant Balaji Athavali, I think, 78 years old, once an atheist, but now a guru who heads the Spiritual Science Research Foundation, which claims that people become gay when they are possessed by ghosts. Okay, so I'm already foreseeing that there might be some kind of infinite regress problem here. If people become gay because they're possessed by ghosts, and I guess it would be logical to assume, if we can use the word logic when talking about ghosts, that the ghosts themselves are gay. Now, were the ghosts gay when they were living? And if so, were they made gay by being possessed by gay ghosts? And were those gay ghosts gay when they were living? See what I mean? Quite the conundrum, but uh, let's see. Okay, I did some digging into the SSRF after I received an email today with a link to Yahoo Report written by Josh Milton and headed, Completely legitimate scientific study claims 85% of gay people are possessed by ghosts. According to the report, gay ghosts are quote-unquote murderous, say quote-unquote bad words, and enjoy being once again, quote unquote, drink up. Nude among others. And so the author of the article replies, Fabulous. Now here's the spooky thing. The link provided by Milton to SSRF's research regarding gays and ghosts, Is that like... Try the, is that like Dungeons and Dragons? Is it like, what was that game? that video game when I was a kid? I think they released it for the iPhone. It was like Ghosts and Goblins, but then I think there was also like Ghouls and Ghosts, and they were pretty much the same game. Um, research regarding gays and ghosts has been spirited away and no longer works. But thanks to a valuable resource called Wayback Machine, I found an archived article entitled Symptoms of Ghosts Affecting or Possessing a Person. This informs me that while about 30% of the world's population is possessed by ghosts, LGBT folk are more likely to be spook magnets. Okay, spook magnets. The main reason behind the gay orientation of some men is that they are possessed by female, oh, okay, female ghosts. It is the female ghosts in them that is attracted to other men. Conversely, the attraction to females experienced by some lesbians is due to the presence of male ghosts in them. The ghost consciousness overpowers the person's normal behavior to produce the homosexual attraction. Spiritual research has shown that the cause for homosexual preferences lie predominantly in the spiritual realm. Physical causes, 5% due to hormonal changes. Psychological causes, 10%. Having an experience with a person of the same sex as a teenager or young adult that was pleasurable and therefore wanting to experience it again but spiritual causes 85%, mainly ghosts. The quote-unquote good news is that these phantoms can be banished if the afflicted do a series of spiritual ghostbuster exercises, including chanting. Details in a chart are helpfully provided. SSRS warns that among the many negative effects of ghost possession is, quote-unquote, reduction of faith in God and the, quote-unquote, drink up, desire to strangle someone. That's pretty specific. And so then the author says, uh, Being an atheist and gay, SSRS researchers would classify me as being doubly possessed. And right now I have an irresistible urge to strangle Dr. Athavali and SSRS's editor, Sean Clark. (laughs) And so, yeah, I had trouble reading that with a straight face, and it's so silly. It was like a fun article to read. But uh, on a serious note, I mean, so like baked in the cake here, you know, in this worldview is a lack of acceptance of gay people, uh, the promotion of superstition. And uh, this is the same kind of, you know, superstitious and bigoted thinking that gets you things like gay conversion therapy, people being killed for being the wrong sexual orientation by religious fundamentalists, etc. It's this alienation and demonization of people based on sexual orientation. When what? You have grown adults who are attracted to people of the same sex. Why not let them live their lives? It's all based in superstitious religious bigotry, you know what I mean? And... Um, I don't know if it's irresponsible of me to link, like, this guy with the most extreme cases, you know, where you have people actually being killed for their sexual orientation. But in both cases, you have this kind of othering and demonization of people based on sexual orientation. And it's a bigotry that's rooted in or driven by religious belief. And this kind of reminds me of something that I was watching earlier today, uh, if you're like me, you know, maybe you might cycle through which YouTube content creators you tend to watch at a given time. Uh, recently, for some reason, I've been watching a lot of Jank uh, Uger's nephew, Hassan Piker. Uh, and I guess he's become pretty successful as I think as a Twitch streamer. And then there's people who take clips from his, you know, incredibly long uh, Twitch streams. And, you know, repackage them for YouTube or whatever and release these short little clips. And there was one clip I was watching today where um, I guess he was getting frustrated that there were kind of atheists popping up in his chat. And I think he might technically be an atheist or at least an agnostic. But there was something about, uh, I don't know, I guess something about these particular atheists in his chat that was uh, kind of getting on his nerves. And uh, I guess someone in the chat was talking about um, religious persecution in the United States, you know, that you can face uh, as an atheist or growing up, you know, as an atheist in a religious household. And I don't know if that was a specific example, but that's what came to mind to me because it seemed like Hassan was kind of trying to downplay or trivialize uh what an atheist can go through in the states you know what i mean and he kind of scoffed at it saying you know mentioning how he's from turkey and uh you know obviously there's parts of the world where like i was just saying maybe you could end up getting killed for being technically uh, you could probably end up getting killed for being gay in the u.s too if you catch yourself in the you know in the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever you know um and I'm not laughing obviously because that amuses me. It's very disturbing. I'm laughing kind of gallows humor because I think it's it's darkly true. And it reminds me of uh there's the case of is it uh Brandon Tina? Remember the person um who is the inspiration for the Hillary Swank movie, uh Boys Don't Cry? Uh, She was technically trans, but there's been cases of young gay men being killed in the the United States, you know. But he was kind of laughing off how there really isn't any type of real religious persecution that atheists have to worry about in the States compared to, you know, what people have to go through in certain Muslim nations or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, it doesn't have to be a pissing match where we try to prove who has it worse or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, Just because... We're not living on a part of the map where maybe you can get killed or beheaded for being an atheist or whatever, or imprisoned. That doesn't delegitimize what people go through in the States. Uh, I think primarily I'm referring to uh, having to go through a religion, a really, you know, like a hardcore religious upbringing. Um, a kind of fundamentalist upbringing or even like myself i wouldn't call my parents religious fundamentalists but they were you know i had a devout catholic upbringing and i and i think there's still some kind of scars or lingering effects from being raised to take um certain aspects of the religion literally uh, namely the belief in hell and that if you know if you kind of uh go astray, you can end up burning for all of time, you know what I mean, and that there's these supernatural powers vying for control over you, you know, a god who's constantly watching everything you, you do, and some, you know, the devil who and who's trying to constantly lead you astray, and you have to watch out for what music you listen to, or what movies you watch, and there's always demons out to get, that can take a big toll on someone, And imagine being a young gay kid um, raised in a super Christian household that, um, that condemns, you know, homosexuality. Imagine the toll that can take on your psyche as a kid, you know what I mean? And I think in a lot of ways, this is still a country drowning in religious superstition. I still can't imagine an openly atheistic president gang elected anytime soon. Even Trump has to pay lip service to religion, you know what I mean, and uh, fraternize with uh, wing nuts like Paula White and all that. And I think he's known Paula White for a long time, and so I don't know if he does have any sincere religious belief or not, but I, I think a lot of what he's doing is just he knows for political expedience you know he has to uh placate the uh the religious demographic out there especially the religious right so like i said you know we're a nation drowning in religious superstition and on top of it science denialism seems to be on the rise uh wow what a time to be alive and that kind of reminds me of uh there's a, a popular atheist, a young guy on YouTube, I think he he goes by the name Genetically Modified Skeptic, I think that's it, and maybe a month or so ago, he released an episode in which he talks about how Carl Sagan tried to warn, you know, I think, I think he's citing the book specifically, The Demon Haunted World, so what, was that back in the 90s uh, that came out? But how even back then, Carl Sagan was trying to warn of the dangers of, let's say, you have a technologically advanced uh, society, but the average person might not necessarily be, you know, that well educated or that knowledgeable. Um, But everyone has. Easy access to communication platforms or whatever, you know what I mean. So, simultaneously, you can have a society that's very technologically advanced, but you ha- you can have people who aren't necessarily the best or the brightest um, using that technology, that society's technological advancements to broadcast their own kind of backward. Backwards ideas, and you can get these backwards ideas that gain traction, and you can have this kind of dumbed-down echo chamber effect. And that's kind of what I see going on is where you know everyone has this a little supercomputer in their pocket. Everyone has a smartphone or a tablet. They can easily communicate with people on the other side of the globe. They can instantaneously make their uh, every thought known or whatever, you know, via social media. And um, so you have people using these, uh, you have people utilizing this, uh, all this amazing communications technology, you know what I mean? But you have this kind of dumbed-down echo chamber effect. And I think that's how you get these quickly spreading conspiracy theories and the rest of it. And it's, ironically, you can have people using high tech to spread science denialism. You know what I mean? And I think in conjunction with that, Sagan was also warning about, and I think Genetically Modified Skeptic actually plays um, some footage or uh, audio of Sagan talking. And uh, it's funny because it's, it's dated, so you know, all the, the references are very dated because he uses examples like Beavis and Butthead to uh, try to make a point that he, he thought that even at that time, uh, you know, the, I don't know what would have been the early or 90s or whatever, that there seemed to be a kind of glorification or celebration of uh, or, or idolatry, or idolizing of stupidity. You know what I mean? And I actually thought that Sagan was going a little too far or taking things a little too seriously with that. You know what I mean? Because I think, um, you know, laughing at the moron or whatever, or the stooge, you know, that's kind of this timeless theme that we've seen in entertainment. I don't know, maybe even back to like Punch and Judy uh, or long before that, way back into ancient comedy or something. You know, there's always been this thing where we enjoy laughing at kind of absurd comedic you know moronic figures or whatever so i thought he might have been going a little too far with saying that like society is actually idolizing beavis and butthead as if taking them seriously and aspiring to be like that although in fairness to play devil's advocate i think there probably is a type of thing where you can have young people who think these characters are really cool and try to mimic those characters you know what i mean so it does in a weird way become kind of cool to be dumb and disinterested i guess and i apologize for the noise um, my computer fans has been acting up recently and we also have what sounds like torrential new england rain out there so anyway maybe some of you will actually find it soothing um yeah and i know that sounds horribly elitist you know, what I mean that mm, the plebs have iPhones and they're ruining, uh, you know, they're ruining, civ- ruining civilization for us. Uh, and so I'm not saying that we should take uh, all the stupid people's smartphones away or whatever. You know what I mean? No, and I, I don't know what the solution is. I think, if anything, the solution needs to be more education. You know what I mean? Um And getting more people, in general, interested in science and critical thinking. So they're less likely to fall for conspiracy theories and superstitious nonsense. But I guess I'll cover at least another story or two. Yeah, maybe I'll do two more. I'll cut out some of these because I didn't expect uh, the show to be going on this long. So... Looks like the war on Christmas is starting early, which is pretty much to be expected with Fox News. And so this is from The Friendly Atheist. It's entitled, Fox News' Janine Pirro. Thanks to Trump, I say Merry Christmas louder now. And I can barely hear myself over that rain, so I hope this is coming through. And it's dated October 31st, uh, which seems kind of fitting since Janine Piero is kind of a scary lady. And she really scares me, man. It scares me to know that she was an actual judge in charge of, you know, deciding people's fates. It blows my mind because she is, uh, let's not mince words, she's a conspiratorially minded wingnut. Scary stuff. So it starts, silly you. You thought Republicans just wanted to be able to say Merry Christmas in public without feeling like they were making some kind of mistake by excluding non-Christians. Nope. In a reminder that the fictional war on Christmas will never end, no matter what happens, Fox News host Janine Pirro told a crowd at the Faith and Freedom Coalition voter rally in Texas recently that anyone saying Merry Christmas has to also stare people down in the process. And so here's a quote. I remember when Donald Trump was running and he talked about bringing back Merry Christmas, Pero said. I live in New York. I'm like, yeah, nobody says it. You know, you try to be politically correct because Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, this, that, the atheists, the agnostics, whatever. And then I said... He's right. This guy who's never been in politics, a New York City billionaire who builds buildings for a living, who fights the swamp in New York City, he's got a better handle on it than I do. And since he came in, I say, Merry Christmas, and I say it a decibel louder now, Piero declared. And I stared them down, and so should you. And I've always thought this war on Christmas thing is absolutely ridiculous. And this this has been going on for years now. This goes all the way back to you know, when O'Reilly was still on the air at Fox News, and he had been doing it for years. And I basically try to drive home the same point every year, you know. I'm an atheist, a non-believer, choose your label. And uh, like many atheists or people who are, you know, secular or only nominally or culturally Christian, you know, I say Merry Christmas all the time. I love Christmas music. I love going Christmas shopping. Um, When I do my grocery shopping every week, you know, during the holiday season, I love going into the Christmas aisle, you know, and seeing all the Christmas themed stuff, all the Christmas candy. Um, And you see the word Christmas everywhere. You know, they're selling Christmas cards. Uh, Like I said, Christmas candy. There's even really like super Christy Christian uh, Christmas candy. Where I do my shopping, it's Stop and Shop, and you'll actually see, like, Christmas cards, like, really Christian Christmas cards made out of chocolate, with a whole cross, and, you know, this, Jesus, and this and that. And, uh, I'll wait, I usually wait to see what people say to me. When I'm checking out, maybe the person behind the counter says, Merry Christmas. I love it when they do, and I say, Merry Christmas back. If they say happy holidays instead, that's cool too. I'll say happy holidays back or maybe just you two, you know what I mean? And they try and make it seem like these kind of salutations like season's greetings or happy holidays are these super lefty, overly politically correct replacements for Merry Christmas. But when you look back in history, you know, even if you look at old like album art and Old Greeting Cards. Uh, you can see Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings, uh, and even, um, like I was just looking this up, the phrase or salutation, Season's Greetings, goes all the way back to the Victorian era, the 19th century, and I guess it started off as with the Season's Greetings, and you would find that on uh, greeting cards, etc. and then it was shortened to the Season's Greetings, and then by the uh, 1920s, it had become season's greetings. And um, it says it has been a greet. And this is from Wikipedia. I know, I know. Leave me alone. It has been a greeting card fixture ever since. Several White House Christmas cards, including U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower's 1955 card, have featured the phrase. And, you know, I've been trying not to get overly political on the show. And I hate to bring up Trump yet again. But it's hard to avoid, because both Trump and at least one of his sons, John Jr., maybe it was Eric, I don't remember, uh, but they have openly boasted about how Donald Trump has made it safe to say Merry Christmas again. When the hell did people ever stop saying Merry Christmas? Like I said, I'm a damn atheist, and I say Merry Christmas, and I love doing so. I love Christmas, you know what I mean? And like I said... Uh, there's no need to get worked up about people saying happy holidays or seasons greetings. That shit has been on greeting cards going all the way back to the Victorian era or happy, you know, in the case of happy holidays, I think seasons greetings you're more likely to find on greeting cards. But happy holidays, that's been a, you know, a holiday season salutation for dec- at least decades, you know what I mean. Uh, so it's just political, fear-mongering. You know, it's absolutely absolute garbage, the whole war on Christmas thing. And so, yeah, I'll do one more story. And this is just kind of a really fun, light story. Um, and this comes from a site called Spoon Tamago, whatever the hell that is. I'm probably butchering it. And I don't know if it's pronounced Jimmy or Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know. But um, there's this Halloween custom in Japan. And it, it just cracks me up where the goal is to wear, like, a, a kind of very toned down, kind of mundane costume, so much so that you have to explain to people what the hell it is. Uh, but it's a riot, and it's the type of thing where it'll, it'll actually probably be funnier with the images, so I'll be sure to include the images in the, uh, the YouTube version, but... Uh, yeah, I found this story yesterday. And it's entitled Japan's Jimmy or Jimmy Mundane Halloween Costumes of 2020. In 2014, a subculture emerged in Japan called Jimmy. Halloween, or Mundane Halloween, it was started by a group of adults at Daily Portal Z, who kind of wanted to participate in the festivities of Halloween, but were too embarrassed to go all out in witch or zombie costumes. So instead of the flashy and flamboyant costumes they had been seeing gain popularity in Japan, they decided to dress up in mundane everyday costumes, the type of costumes that you have to explain to people and then they say, oh I I get it. And so there's a whole list of examples here. In the first one, I actually think, I'm no expert, but I don't know if it necessarily fits the criteria of being a mundane costume. Um, I guess depending on your setting, it could be kind of flamboyant. So it shows a woman dressed in kind of like operating scrubs, and she's carrying two panda bears, stuffed animals, and there's a third one attached to her leg like she's dragging it. And the costume is supposed to be a zookeeper in charge of the pandas. But then the next one, um, maybe I should read the title first. The, the, uh, The name of the costume is an office worker whose lanyard name card has flipped over. And it's just like a guy in a dress shirt, a COVID mask, and a name tag. But the name tag is flipped over. Okay, then the, uh, the next one is entitled, A Guy Who Can Definitely Tell the Difference Between Good and Bad Coffee. And it's just a guy who's kind of smiling, and he's holding a mug. And the next one is entitled, A Guy Who Can No Longer Wear His Favorite Shirt Because of the Anime Kometso no Yaiba, Demon Slayer. Uh, I don't get that one, because I, I think you have to be familiar with the anime. Um, the next one is a businessman who cut himself shaving, but can luckily hide it with his mask. And there's just a guy pulling down his COVID mask a little, and he has a tiny band aid on his upper lip. Uh, the next one, an interviewer who's a little too extra with the pens. And it's just a guy sitting at a desk and he looks like overprotective of his pens. Um, a woman who's regretting telling the cashier that she doesn't need a bag. (laughs) an overworked woman doing last minute assignments for a terrible company on the train platform. (laughs) That guy who's definitely the grill mask, (laughs) that guy who's definitely the grill master at a large barbecue. And then there's a one where a woman has kind of her face is all painted up like a, like like a blur of colors. That weird thing that sometimes happens with Zoom meeting backgrounds. Anyway, you get it. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, and the last one's actually pretty funny, too. It's a guy just wearing, like, really ordinary clothing. And he's got, like, a little, maybe, like, a little painted-on mustache. And he's just supposed to look like a random background character from a panel of a a, a comic or a manga, or manga, how, however you pronounce it. Yeah, so there's just, like, a random, really bland-looking person in the background. Uh, and he's just just a guy wearing a brown coat a white baseball cap and his hair is a little messy or something. So the guy out have his way to look exactly like this background character that no one probably ever noticed. So that was kind of funny too. But with that, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. You know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm usually not that active on there, but sometimes I'll tweet interesting links. Or when I publish a new episode, I tweet the link to that on uh, on Twitter. Uh, if you reach out to me on Twitter, I'll probably reach back. You know, but I'm not a Twitter maniac. Um, you can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help what I do here monetarily, you can go to patreon.com theweekendout and help me out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.